Welcome back to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where you will hear messages designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. In today's podcast, we are going to learn what the Bible says about prayer and being proactive about it. When it comes to prayer, some of us tend to look at it as a one-way conversation where all we pray about is to ask God for blessings. But the truth is, prayers aren't always just blessings from God. It is also a two-way conversation with God. How does it work? We hope you will enjoy today's message that will tell us more about having a proactive prayer life and what it means to pray and to listen to the Holy Spirit. invite you, if you would, to go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, maybe you brought one with you, or maybe you want to grab one that's in the seat in front of you here. And I'm going to invite you to open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. And if you are grabbing one of those Bibles that's in the seat in front of you, we are on page 1018. You're also welcome to open up your phone or your tablet or however it is that you take or that you like to read the Bible. But we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1 in just a moment. If you've been with us over the last couple of, of weeks, first of all, let me, let me just take a moment to, to recognize, you know what's happening in the room right now that you need to enjoy right now in this moment? It's, this, it's January 12th. It is warm in this room, okay? So you need to just enjoy this moment together, right? Because I promise you next week, you, it will feel differently in this room. Uh, but but we, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, not only have you, do you know that it's colder in this room than it is right now today, but also we've been talking about what if this was the year? What if 2020 was the year that you lived with perfect clarity? Now, I know we're not being that clever. You're talking about that subject in the year 2020, but it's still a good topic to discuss. Because my guess is you can look back at 2019 and I can look back at my 2019 And I can certainly identify places in my life where I did not live with clarity and purpose, where I wasted time, or I said I was going to get something done, and it was important to get done, and I didn't get it done, or I didn't accomplish the goal that I set out for myself, and it was primarily because I just didn't stay up with it, not because something else happened that stopped me, but I just let the ball drop a little bit. And my guess is you have those same things in your life. So what would it look like in or- if you were going to live this year with perfect, perfect clarity and purpose? How valuable would that be? I think there's something inside of all of us. It's inside of me. It's inside of you. I think it's inside of everybody that's in this world around us that we want to live with clarity and purpose. No one wants to waste their time that they have. We want to live with clarity. So what would it look like, specifically as a follower of Jesus Christ, if that's what you call yourself, a follower of Jesus Christ, what would it look like for you to live your life with great clarity? And to help us along our journey here over these weeks in January, we're using 2 Peter chapter 1 as our launching pad here for our discussions. And in this uh, text, Peter, as we talked about last week, and I'll, I'll save that from last week if you want to go back and listen, he tells us exactly who we are and how we are to live. And if you're going to live with clarity, you need to know who you are and how you're to live. And Peter tells us both those things in these verses. This is what he says. Verse 3. His, that's God, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In our world, in our world, we are, you might even be able to use the word obsessed, we are focused on doing whatever we can to make things more efficient, aren't we? In all sorts of different realms, the way we conduct our business, the way we communicate with one another, because somewhere in our minds, somewhere in our minds, we believe that if we make things more efficient, then we can be, then we will be more effective in whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. If we can make things more efficient, then we'll be more effective. And so we do things like uh, improve communication over time. Can you imagine, can you even picture a world Isn't it hard to believe that there was a time that the only time you could talk to somebody is if you were in front of them standing face to face and you would live your entire life and the only people you would ever talk to or communicate with or hear from for the most part are the people that you knew face to face. Isn't it crazy to think of a time when that's how people live, but that's how people live for a long time. And over time, we kept saying to ourselves, we need to make communication more efficient. And certainly we have. And there was this belief. If we make communication more efficient, then we will end up being more effective. And in certain ways, we absolutely have been more effective. We stay in touch with people. We can learn about things very quickly. Even some of the things that we prayed for this morning in our prayer time, the reason we know about these things and can lift them up in prayer is because we become much more efficient in our communication. However, there's always this question, too, is if it always works that way. Are there times in our world where, in our efforts to become more efficient, we actually end up becoming more ineffective in the things that we are trying to accomplish? When I first got out of school, I was in uh, sales for a uh, large corporation, a Fortune 100 corporation. And and, uh, when I was a part of that sales team, I was hired into the sales team and I was 25 years old and I had worked worked in the operations of that company for a number of years and now I was in the sales and we were selling services to other businesses. And when I got on that sales team, it was a mix of people, but there was this whole group of salespeople that had been selling at this company for many, many years. And they were very effective at what they did. They knew how to sell. They knew how to walk into a room, walk into a client, and they knew how to make the sale happen. And as a new person coming in, one of the things that I was taught and told about were all the computer programs that the company had put in place to make sales more efficient. And so for every sales call I did, there were three different internal computer programs that I had to log everything I learned about that sale into. Does that make sense? 
And one of the th- what happened when I got on that sales team is the people who were most effective at sales, they came over to me and they said something like this. I'm going to clean up the language for you, okay? They said something like this. They said, those computer programs are junk. They don't help you sell anything. That's so people can watch what you're doing. If you really want to be effective in sales, you need to just ignore those and just go sell things to people. But do you know what I thought at 25 years old coming in, you know, Mr. Grown-Up with Computers? I thought to myself, no, no, no. If you do the computer work, it's far more efficient. It will lead you to being more effective. They just don't understand. And I had multiple times where people came to me and they said, why are you typing in your computer? Stop typing in your computer. And our sales managers and the regional managers, they would come into meetings and they would point their finger at the best salespeople and they would say, why aren't you typing things into your computer? And they would look at me and the other young people and they would say, good job, you type things into your computer, that's great. (laughs) One of the things that happened in my first six months in my job is that all the numbers from all the businesses that did their business with our company began to decline. Our sales calls were an hour long. I would go to a sales call. I'd spend about 15 to 20 minutes with the person, and then I would have to get back out to my car so that I could spend about 45 minutes typing everything that I just did into the three different systems in my computer. And I couldn't figure out why I was being so efficient with the things that I was doing, but I wasn't being effective in my sales until one day, a CEO of a company out in Acton here out on Route 2 called me into his office, and this was a big customer, and I had noticed that since I took over the territory, their numbers had declined, that they decided to be uh, using the services of another company that was our rival. And he called me into his office and he said, listen, do you know why we did business with Martin? Now, Martin's the guy I took over for. Martin was one of these guys that didn't really much like the computer, but was very effective at sales. He said, do you know why we do business with Martin? Notice he didn't say the company. He said, Martin. I said, because uh, our company is the best and it provides the best surface and we have all these efficient computer programs that we use. And he said, no, that's not why we do business. We do business with, we did business with Martin because once a quarter, Martin would go to, and he named a local restaurant, Martin would go to the local restaurant. He would buy the lobster rolls that are our absolute favorite, mine, the shipping manager, the warehouse manager, he would buy us all our favorite lobster rolls and he would come to the office and for two hours we would eat lobster rolls and we would just talk about life. That's why we did business with your company. And I I couldn't process it in my mind at the time because to me the computer was efficiency and that would lead me to be more effective. And you know what would be wildly inefficient? Eating lobster rolls with people and talking about life. That had nothing to do with business in my mind. And you can probably think about things in your own life, in your own experience, but isn't it true that sometimes in our efforts to be efficient, we actually end up becoming ineffective, not more effective. And here's what I'd like you to think about for the next couple of minutes. Does this happen in our relationship with God? Are there places in our relationship with God where we are trying to be more and more efficient? Do things faster, do things better. And it's leading us to be ineffective, not more effective, but ineffective in our walk with God. If you're someone who's a Christian, you want to walk with clarity, you want to walk with purpose, you want to walk with consistency in your life, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that there is a big place in our lives where we're doing something that feels efficient to us but it's actually leading us to be 
ineffective in our walk with God. And if we want to be effective, you and I need to start doing something that actually feels very inefficient, but will lead us to be very effective. In these verses, Paul, or Peter makes it very clear, very clear how we're supposed to live. If you want to be effective in your walk with Jesus, he tells you exactly how to do it. And in fact, he, he gives us this sort of chain of, of characteristics of someone who is a follower of Jesus. And he says it right here in verse 5. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And here's, here's the thing. You want to know that you're living with clarity? You need to have these things in your life. Your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And you wonder to yourself, why is Paul repeating like that? Why all the ands? Why not just say, here's what you need in your life. You need virtue, you need knowledge, you need self-control, you need steadfastness. Why is he linking them together like this? And Peter's saying very clearly to you and to me, this is an all or nothing deal. You either have these things or you don't in your walk with God. You're not, you're not living with clarity and saying, well, I have brotherly affection, but I have no self-control in my life. Or I have knowledge, but I have no virtue. Peter's saying, you can't, you can't unlink these. These are all together the same. And then he says, so if these qualities are, your, are yours, in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being, look at the word he uses, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying to you, you want to be effective in, in your year this year? You want to make 2020 a year where you live and do the things God's calling you to do? Here's what you need. You need all of these things, but you need them all. You can't have one without the other. It's like love and marriage. You had to have them both. And so uh, Peter says all of these things need to be together. And if you don't have these, you'll be very ineffective. So then the question becomes this. How do we get them? How do you get these things in your life? How do you get knowledge and virtue, self-control and steadfastness? How do you acquire those things so that you'll actually live a life that's, that's effective? You know, for most of us, we would just jump, and this is what we do in the church, Right? We would just jump to saying, okay, if that's what we need, if that's what Peter is saying that we need, we need to be um, virtuous and have knowledge and love and all of these things. If that's what we need, then we need to come up with some efficient strategy to give these things to everybody. We need some sort of, we need a class, we need a program, we need to, we need to read a book together, we need to buy the video series, and then we'll meet in each other's houses and we'll watch the video series, and we need some sort of a, a efficient program where we can check the box or everyone gets a certificate, and, and then we know like, that everyone has these things because we printed it out and we said we studied virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness, and we met for, in the church we used to meet for like 12 weeks, but then no one would do that, so then we made it 10 weeks. It's more and more efficient than eight. Now, like, we're lucky if we meet for four weeks because it, it, we just efficiency. We want it quick. And the same thing that we do in our world, we try to do in the church. How can we speed this thing up? How can we make it more efficient so that we have these things in a, in a shorter amount of time? We make it efficient, and then we get all these things, and we can move on. 
Peter says something actually in his first letter to these people. This is Second Peter, this is Peter's second letter to a group of Christians. He says something in his first letter that I think we ought to pay attention to here as we think about this. How do you get these things in your life? And it's right in 1 Peter chapter 4, and if your Bible's like mine, you don't even have to turn the page back, but maybe you just have to turn one page back to see 1 Peter chapter 4. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, this is, this is what Peter says. He, says. he says this, the end of all things is at hand. Something big is coming, Peter's saying. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand, Peter says. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Do you know what I think of when I look at that uh, statement? I think Peter's words are backwards. Do you know how I would have written that? If I, if I wrote that, I would have said, pray so that you'll be self-controlled and sober-minded. Pray so that you gain these things. But Peter, he says the opposite. Peter says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And I think Peter says it that way because he recognizes something that's certainly true about me, and I bet it's true about you as well. It's just like we will only do things that we think are efficient to get an end that we desire. We tend to treat prayer the exact same way. And we will pray when it feels efficient, and we're going to get the end that we desire. So I might say, well, if I want to be self-controlled, then I should pray so that I can be self-controlled. And that's the way I would think about it. But Peter's saying something else. He's saying, be self-controlled so that you pray. See, Peter knows something about you and about me, and that is, that is we operate through life as if we have no limits and we can control everything. We believe that about ourselves. And so when there's big things happening in the world, we, as people, we believe we have no limits and there's nothing we can't fix, and we operate in that way. We raise the money, we increase our technology, we take care of the earth, we do all of these things because we believe we have no limits and there's nothing we cannot get done. If we put our heads together and have enough resources and technology, we can get it all done. And the only time we pray is when something happens in our life that breaks that whole thing apart. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we become very aware that we have limits and that things are out of our control. For many of us, it's the only time we pray. Now, don't get me wrong. That is, that is good prayer. It's in the Bible. Those times when you're crying out to God and you're saying, God, you got to get me out of this because I don't know how to get out of this. Or the diagnosis comes and you pray for that. Or there's a financial need and you pray for that. But many of us, that's the only time we pray. Is when prayer is this efficient tool to get what it is that we need and desire. But Peter's saying something else. Peter's saying you really want to live an effective life. You need to have these things. And you need to have it before anything happens, not after it happens. We pray reactively. Peter's asking us to pray proactively. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 21. Look what he said. 
But watch yourselves, Jesus says, lest your hearts become weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Peter says, or Jesus says the exact same thing Peter does. You need to be praying because stuff's coming. Things are going to happen. And it's going to come upon you uh, like a trap, Jesus says. And you need to be ready. Most of us pray when we've fallen in the pit and we need God to get us out of it. Jesus and Peter are calling us to prayer that develops character traits inside of us that help us to avoid the pit altogether. And if you want to live with great clarity in your life, you need to have the ability to see the traps that are coming, to see the things and the pitfalls that are before you. And the only way to see those things is to pray beforehand, not afterward. Now, hear what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God when you find yourself in that place. But to live with great clarity, we need proactive prayer in our life. You have the opportunity, I have the opportunity to go before the creator of the universe regularly, whenever you want, and petition that he would grant us virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness, that he would do a work in our lives, that he would help us to avoid the pitfall, that he would, that he would go before us. You have that opportunity but for so many of us, we don't do it. And why? Why don't we do it? Why is it something that is so reactive in our lives? It's on the way to the meeting that we're not sure how it's going to go when we're praying fervently because we really need it to go well. Again, nothing wrong with that kind of prayer, but why is that the majority of our prayers? Or for some of us, the only prayers? Well, I think two things are true for many of us. One is we're not praying the way that God calls us to pray. First of all, because we're not sure what to say. Does anyone feel like that? Like, is anyone in the room here this morning that if I gave you the microphone and asked you to pray out loud, you would absolutely panic because you feel like you don't have any idea what you're supposed to say? Does anyone feel that way? You don't have to raise your hand. I can tell by your smirks you feel that way. Right? There's this feeling like we don't know what to say. We're not sure what language to use. And so we're fine just maybe in our own safe space praying. But even when we're by ourselves, we're not really sure that we're doing it right. We're not sure like what the magic formula is or how God wants us to pray. And, and people will just tell us, oh, just talk to God like he's your friend. And we try to do that, but he's, he's, he's not just like anybody else, Right? He's God. And so in some ways, we shouldn't just talk to him like he's our buddy and he's like the person next door. That I, that while that can be a helpful statement and people have good intentions, God is very different than your friend who you're trying to talk to. And so we don't know the words to say it. We don't know how to say it. 
Over the last couple of weeks, I started reading a book by author and pastor Eugene Peterson. It's been really helpful to me to this end. By the way, can I just do a little sidebar here for one second? I'm going to make it quick, okay? You need to know a book to read. You need to talk to Lynn and Jean Breitenbach. Lynn is in the back there, okay? They have read every book ever published since the beginning of time somehow. And Lynn gave me this book. And it's, so, it's such a great book. And I'm telling you, if you got, if you're like have a subject you want to learn more about when it comes to following Jesus, just go to Lynn and Jean. And it's like typing into the Amazon search engine. You just say, I want to know more about the Holy Spirit. They'll give you 50 books. You read one. If you like it, you come back and you say, I liked this one. And they'll say, well, if you like that one, here's five more. It's unbelievable. (laughs) But Lynn gave me this book. And, And in the book, Eugene Peterson says something that I think is so helpful. He said, you know, many of us don't pray because we don't know the words to say. And we've been taught that you have to be, you have to make up words. And so there's certain people that just know what to say, right? They are just unbelievable orators, and they, they are wordsmiths, and they pray. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm impressed by that prayer, and I know God's impressed by that prayer. God has to be looking down and being like, I can't even believe they strung those words together. This is phenomenal. I'm going to do something. And we think, well, I don't know how to use words like that. You know, my, my daughter, Nora, she's 19 months old, and something uh, great has happened over the last couple of weeks. And Jason, I see you with your daughter. She's 20 months old, right? And I, I wonder if you've had this happen too. That just in the last few weeks, she's done something she's never done in her life before. She's actually started to say words back to us. Some of you have had, you've, you've been through this before. For the last year and a half, we've just been talking to her. And she would communicate uh, through tears or through smiles, but that was, that was the extent of the communication. Now, over the last couple of weeks, the very first time she has started to say words, and once they start, they just keep coming. And you're not even sure where she, where she got them all, but she'll say, she'll say thank you now, she'll say please, she'll say mine, which we'll work on, and, and all of those sorts of things. But all of a sudden, the words start coming out. And what's happened is for the last uh, 18 or 19 months, we and you and the other people in our lives have been sowing words into her, and now she knows how to use them back to us. Eugene Peterson, in this book, he says, God has done the exact same thing. We're off trying to speak a language that, that there's actually a book that teaches us how to do it. And in your Bible, there is a book called Psalms that has 150 prayers, There's other prayers in the Bible too, but in that one book, it's all condensed down, 150 prayers where God has given you the language to speak. And Peterson says, we often think with prayer that it's our job to speak first and then God responds. Like God's this butler hiding in the corner and he's just waiting for us to say something and then we start praying and he runs over to us and he says, oh, what did you need? And we tell him what we need and he goes off and does it. But Peterson says, prayer is not us speaking first. God spoke first. God spoke it into existence. God spoke this book for you and for me. And in the book is the language of prayer. And Peterson says the language of prayer happens the exact same way uh, the English language or any other language would happen. And that is, it is spoken into us until we learn to speak it back. And while so many of us are are trying to figure out the right words to say, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody, 
I go to some event, and they're like, oh, we have a pastor here, so someone can pray. And they say, oh, pastor, will you pray? And what's going through my head is not, okay, God, what are the words that you've given us for this moment to pray? What's going on in my head is, okay, what can I say that keeps everybody happy in the room? I don't know what everyone's religious affiliation is. Uh, what I don't want to pray too long or too short. Like, how can I meet everybody's expectations with the words I'm going to say? But God has given us the language to say. You want to know how to praise God? It's in here. You want to know how to confess to God? It's in here. You want to know how to ask God for something? It's in here. You don't have to come up with the words. They've been given to you. And the first reason we don't pray is because we don't know the words. But they're available to us if we would read them and let God speak to us. And the second reason I think we don't pray, and I'm talking specifically about this proactive prayer we're talking about here, is, man, it feels ineffective. We sit and we pray for 15 minutes, and then we're done. We sit and pray for half an hour, and then we're done. We sit and pray for five minutes, and then we're done. And it's just proactive. It's not in response to something or, or something that's about to happen. It's just, it's just very proactive and disciplined. It's something we, self, we have self-control, and so we do. At the end of that, it, we're not sure it made a difference. There's no certificate to hang on our wall. There's, there's no completion chart or something. It just, it just feels very inefficient. And so we assume that because it feels inefficient, that it's actually ineffective. But I can tell you that throughout the generations, not just in our present day, but throughout the generations of Christians, I promise you, if you find someone who is very effective in living out the life that Jesus Christ has called them to with clarity, you are going to find someone who is very self-controlled in their willingness to go before God and pray. Not in response only, but before the thing even happens, in preparation. You know, when I was preparing this message over the last couple of weeks, the closer and closer we got to this Sunday, the more and more I felt God saying to me, you better leave time for people to actually pray. How foolish would it be to come into this room and talk about prayer and not actually pray together? And so we're going to do something, and it's not very visitor-friendly. I like to be visitor-friendly as much as I can. We got rid of our greeting time and all sorts of stuff, so we would be visitor-friendly. But God wants us to pray. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm not passing around the microphone, don't worry. But in just a minute, we're going to do a couple of things. I've printed out here for us different psalms. There's a six or seven different ones that are all mixed in here. And I'm going to put them on the altar. And in just a moment, our worship team, who I'll invite our worship team to go ahead and come forward. In just a moment, our worship team is going to play a song. And you and I are going to have an opportunity to respond. And I'm going to invite you to come up to the front and to just at random grab one of these psalms. And to stand here at the front of the church and whether just in your own heart silently or out loud, to pray the words of this psalm. And if you're up in the balcony, I'm going to invite you to come down here and join us for this.
that we would come and we would come to the front here and we would take not our own words, but the words that God has given us in prayer and that we would use them to pray to him. I think this could be a powerful moment. God really moved in the first service. And while you do that, while you come, and you don't have to bring your own words, God provided the words for you. While you come and you stand at the front, Let me give you an opportunity as well. If there's something you're dealing with in your life, some of the leaders of our church are going to be up front here. Bill and Karen Sullivan will be right up front here. And Lori and I will be over here on this side. And we're not going to accost you or anything, but while you come up and as you're reading this psalm, if there's something that's heavy on your heart that you want prayer for, we are here to pray with you. You know, Mount Hope, we, say, we have this saying, we say that prayer is our first priority, not our last resort. And if you want to live life with clarity this year, then you need to make prayer a first priority, not your last resort. Because the only way to see what's coming is to start praying before it happens. The only way for experience God's grace in avoiding the things, the pitfalls of this life and the things that are coming is to begin praying before it happens. The only way to develop inside of ourselves virtue and knowledge and knowledge of self-control and self-control and steadfastness and steadfastness and brotherly affection, brother affection in love is to be praying proactively. James 5 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So I just ask you this morning, because something in your life is causing you to suffer, doesn't matter how trivial it is or you think it might be, you got something in your life that's causing you to suffer, come pray. You joyful today? Has God been good to you? Come, praise God. There's words in the Psalms to praise him. Is anyone among you sick? Are you sick this morning? Someone close to you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's why we're up here this morning waiting for you. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You need to confess something this morning to God. You need to repent this morning. Come and pray. The Psalms have something to say. Would you stand with me to your feet? And in a moment, our worship team is going to play. And I'm inviting you to come. And we'll be on the side. Lori and I will be over here. Denise, actually, Denise, I'm going to ask you if you would stay in the middle here. And if anyone would like to come to Denise for prayer. And Bill and Karen Sullivan will be over here at the side. And while you come up and take one of these these, uh, psalms and begin to pray it, if you'd like someone to pray with you specifically, we are here to do that. So come. Come and pray. You don't have to have any fancy words. The words are here for you. God has given them to you. God, would you move in this time? Would your spirit move among us? Come and let's pray together. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, 
We do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.